listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm Tirza Price, coming to you from Book Riot. This week, I'm going to be diving into the stacks to talk about two twisty boarding school YA books. But first, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Dark Academia is really big right now, both in adult and young adult. And what I really like about Dark Academia is it seems to cross lots of different um, genres. So I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And I also recently picked up a new release. And these two things kind of inspired today's backlist episode. So the new release that I recently picked up is The New Girl by Jessie Q to Sutanto, um, which is a companion to her debut novel, The Obsession. Now, Jessie Q Sutanto is also known for um, writing Dial A for Andes, which is more of an adult mystery romance, um, sort of cozy, and it's really great. But um, The Obsession was her first book. And I'm going to talk about that one today because it's been out for a little over a year now. And then I'm also going to talk about another boarding school YA book that's been out for more than 10 years. So start with The Obsession. So The Obsession by Jesse Q. Sutanto is the story of Delilah and Logan. And they are students at this um, very elite, prestigious prep school called Draycott Academy. It's told from both of their point of views. So Logan is um, a boarding student at Draycott, and he is 
Um, not a nice person. He is obsessed with Delilah. And, you know, the kind of obsession where you like know that it's not healthy. It's really interesting because you get chapters from his perspective and you see kind of how he sees things. And he doesn't see anything wrong with his kind of level of obsession. But you as the reader know, like, this is not healthy. Also, hats off to uh, Sutanto for getting to this guy's head because it's really creepy. So he has kind of just been obsessed with Delilah from afar. She has no idea that he even exists. And he begins stalking her. And he's thinking, like, he's just doing it to look out for her, find a way in. Delilah is a day student. So she lives with her mom and her mom's abusive boyfriend off campus. And Logan has set up cameras outside of her house, which is so, so bad. And she has no clue. Um, What nobody realizes, except for Logan, um, is that Delilah's mom's boyfriend is abusive. He's horrible. Um, He's verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, you know, on the verge of becoming physically abusive. And Delilah absolutely hates him. But her mom is stuck in this really bad place where she can't get rid of him. And she's gotten herself into a situation where she's completely dependent upon him. So one day, and this is not a spoiler because this happens very early on. One day, Delilah does something to cause her mom's boyfriend's death. It's like half accident, half like I was really pissed off and I reacted. Either way, it's not good. She knows it's not good. However, it looks like just enough of an accident (laughs) that she knows that like she could potentially get away with it if she just passes it off as an accident. And so that's what happens. And she's like absolutely torn up about it, but she's also really happy because she finally has this nice free life where this abusive jerk is out of her life and her mom's so much happier. And they both feel like this is like the second chance that they didn't know they were going to get. And around this time, Logan makes his appearance and he starts to court Delilah, but he makes a fatal error. He shows his hand too quickly and he lets Delilah know that he caught her action on camera. And if she ever breaks up with him, he could go to the police and get her basically put away from murder. And Delilah's basically horrified because she realizes that she's gone from being under the thumb of one abusive jerk to a different one, even if this one claims to love her. And she's kind of panicking. So thus ensues this cat and mouse game between the two of them as Delilah tries to figure out how the heck she's going to get out from underneath Logan's thumb. And it's, you know, not just so simple as like moving away or dumping him or ditching him because he's like making plans to follow her. She really wants to go to college in Singapore. And he's like, I can go to Singapore. No big deal. So there's a lot of revenge. There's there's the turning of some tables. There's also a subplot of a mystery going on at the Academy that was really great. So, um, you know, this is obviously, I've mentioned, basically manslaughter. There's some violence. There's some abuse. Although the abuse isn't super graphic or on the page. There's stalking. All the trigger warnings for all of those things. But I thought this was a really excellent twisty thriller um, with a nice little boarding school setting. So that book also kind of got me thinking, though, about like this tradition of, you know, 
mysteries and crime on boarding school campuses. And even though dark academia is kind of a newer term, like the concept of like darker secrets and, you know, things happening on campuses, especially boarding schools where there's not a lot of parental oversight, um, that's not new in YA. So the obsession sort of actually reminded me of a different book called The Mockingbirds by Daisy Whitney. This book came out in 2010. Just going to give you a brief heads up for you content warning for sexual assault. So this one is set at Themis Academy. And it's, you know, very similar to Draycott, a very prestigious school where a lot of rich people send their kids with the idea that they're going to prepare them for the Ivy Leagues and these bright, beautiful futures. Um, But sort of underneath, like, the beautiful greenery and glossy brochures of this um, boarding school is this dark underbelly, which is that, like, students are kind of just doing whatever the heck they want because, again, no parents and very little oversight from teachers and other authority figures at the school. And you have both teachers and students behaving badly in this book. Um, So that's where the Mockingbirds come in. They are this secret society responsible for enforcing justice when, you know, the powers that be in structures at the school fail. And they have like this whole setup and, you know, secret procedures for like how to get a hold of them if you need them. Um, And they're kind of like the you know, best kept secret that's not quite a secret on campus. So this book is about Alex and she has kind of, you know, heard about the Mockingbirds. She kind of knows of them as rumor, Um, but she never thought she'd need them herself until she wakes up after a party and she is, wakes up naked in a bed that is not her own. And she realizes that the night before must have gone horribly wrong. Um, and that something happened to her. And she, she's having a hard time sort of figuring out what exactly happened. And those memories are not quite there. But she does know enough to know who is probably at fault. And she is really reluctant at first. Like, you know, maybe I'll just let it be. But with the help of some friends and some people close to her, they really encourage her to go to the Mockingbirds because that's what they're there for. Um, so the Mockingbirds, their whole system of justice is really inspired by Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. And some of their um, processes and procedures are kind of lifted from that book. Um, so if you're familiar with To Kill a Mockingbird, you might recognize um, some of the things that they do. Um, but this novel is really about Alex's journey to realizing that she can and she should stand up for herself and pursue justice, even though it's hard. You know, it's not about revenge. The Mockingbirds have like a legal system, not like a legal system, but like they have a system that's modeled off of the legal system um, where there's trials and there's a whole, you know, due process sort of justice system. Um, It's not perfect. And obviously, you know, if it were perfect, they wouldn't need this system to begin with. But this is a really interesting book that explores consent. And honestly, it was one of the first novels I remember reading that showcases this idea of like teen-led justice and teen-inspired justice. I mean, now we have books like Moxie. There's books like Dangerous Play by Emma Crass. Like all of these books kind of take that idea of like, you know, if the system fails you, you've got to take matters into your own hands. But this was one of the first books in YA that I remember reading that really, you know, explored this. Not Probably not the first book. I'm sure that there were others that came before it. But it was one of the first ones that I remember reading. 
So it came out in 2010. It's still in print, along with a sequel called The Rivals. And I just really remembered enjoying it a lot. And reading all these boarding school dark academia novels brought it to mind. So that is The Mockingbirds by Daisy Whitney. And that is it for me, book nerds. I hope you are all staying safe this weekend and that you are well stocked with books. Thank you so much to our sponsor for making this podcast possible. And you can find a list of books that I mentioned today in the show notes by visiting bookrat.com slash all the books. If you enjoyed this podcast, please show us some love by leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps other book lovers find us. Finally, thank you so much to our sound editor, Jen Zink. If you want to connect with me or see pictures of my books and very sassy cats, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And I will be back next week on a regular episode of All the Books with Liberty and back soon with more backlist recommendations. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend.